Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I've been a cop for 27 years. I like to say I got a backstage pass to life. Well, guess what? I got some tickets for you. So come on in, pull up a chair, turn up that volume, and let's go. Chasing Justice is on. Good afternoon, everyone. Welcome to Chasing Justice with your host, Lieutenant Joe Pangaro. I'm here, and I got to tell you, there's, there's some weird things in the news. You know, today's one of them days where I'm trying to figure out. I got my notes and, and what it is I want to talk about, but I read an article today. Now, you talk about our country falling apart, our, our traditions coming apart at the seams. The, the misunderstanding we seem, we seem to have, so many people seem to have, the difference between right and wrong, what is acceptable and what is not acceptable. Now, there's a lot of things that we believed in the past that we can certainly enlighten ourselves on and change our thinking about you know, human relations and, and those kind of things. We can certainly evolve forward into different kinds of acceptance and tolerances. But I got to tell you, one of the reasons I think we see our nation falling apart is because we have removed God from almost everything. God has become taboo. It has been, God has been put in a position where you can't talk about it. Now, the Constitution clearly says that there'll be no establishment of a religion. doesn't mean you can't have religion. Matter of fact, our founding fathers expected there would be religion everywhere. And whatever kind of religion you believe, you would exercise it, right? You'd be able to go in and do your exercise of your, exercise your rights of freedom to a religion, not freedom from religion. But we've become so, so foolish as we go forward because the underpinnings of religion are about human beings getting along treating each other well, and learning how to survive in a world that is filled with all kinds of problems. Well, this article I read today, and let me tell you, think about this. In this world of, of problems, of acceptance, there is a elementary school, elementary school in Virginia. These are kids from, uh, you know, Kindergarten through sixth grade, in most places, that's uh, the kindergartens. Uh, kindergarten through fifth grade. They had a bomb threat at their school the other day. And it was right after they had their very first meeting of the after-school Satan Club. Yeah, I said that correctly. The after-school Satan Club. Now... I understand that they do have religious groups that meet in the schools. And freedom of religion is freedom of religion. I believe that. And I would suppose that Satan worship is a religion. It's a negative religion, no doubt about it. Uh, what, do, what does that bring to the world? But can you imagine that there would be a after-school Satan club at an elementary school? Just on its face value alone, that tells you everything you need to know with what's wrong with our culture today. That not only, not only did the school district accept that, but that someone came forward and said, we want to have uh, an after-school Satan worship club. And somebody's parents had to be on board with that. Now, can you imagine... What, what that is, think about it. That it is, is really shocking. The more I think about it, the more I find it really hard to, to, to grasp. Uh, and I'm not saying, uh, you know, well, you're about free religion as long as it agrees with you. No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying don't be 
Don't be an idiot. Satan worship is not the same as worshiping a god like Jesus or Allah or, uh, or any of the other deities. They go by different names and are monotheistic uh, religions where there's one god. It's really all the same god, just goes by different names, by different interpretations of people. Satan is not a god. Satan is a fallen angel from God. And to have a school, an elementary school, I can, you know what, I can almost even understand some misguided uh, high school kids. Uh, you know, I, I can almost understand them wanting to have something to be shocking or to be outrageous or whatever. But in an elementary school, you tell me I'm wrong about this. This is a, this is a great big red flag that our nation is sick. We have a very, very bad case of destruction, of self-destruction, and it's it's unfortunate. I, I I don't I don't really don't get it, but I wanted to mention it because it's one of those things. You know, religion in our lives is one of the things that, as human beings, we we, we have many different many different drives. And so, as as many of you know. Uh, I'm former law enforcement, and I, I teach and train how to conduct investigations for schools and businesses and law enforcement, all that. And one of the things that I talk about is there are two different kinds of crimes. Right? There are crimes that we consider um, need-based crimes, and then there are drive-based crimes. And e the people who engage in each of these have different personalities, uh, different different understandings of the world, different self-control. A, a need-based crime is something where a person might want something that they can't otherwise get, so then they go and steal it. So if you think about a burglar who doesn't have any money, right, or, uh, or wants to buy drugs or wants to buy something else and it, can't, it doesn't have a job, doesn't want to work, but wants things in life, has to pay the rent, whatever. This person has a want. This person goes out and commits a crime because they want something. Oftentimes, people that commit these kind of crimes will refrain from the crime if it becomes too difficult. Because if the want is not that important, they'll let it go and they'll stop committing the crime. The other kind of crime is the drive crime. Right? These are drives. There are certain drives we have. Uh, built into us as creatures, like like many creatures on Earth do, and one of those drives is the sex drive. We all know there's a sex drive built into humanity and and every other creature on Earth, so that the species, whatever your species happens to be, can procreate. Whether you're a, an amoeba, whether you're a rabbit, or whether you're a human being, we all have a sex drive of a form, so that we can continue our species, right? That's what attracts us to each other. That's what hormones about. That's what pheromones are about. And it's a drive. It's not something we can necessarily control. This is why people who commit sex crimes are so dangerous. Because a sex crime is a drive crime. We can ignore our wants. We can ignore our wants if we have to. If the punishment is so severe for doing something that, you know, stealing or doing something because we just want something... And that punishment is so severe, we, eh, maybe we don't, wanna, we don't want the consequences, so we'll, we'll give up on that. But a drive crime, the drive crimes are the ones that, that don't stop. They keep talking to you all the time. And the sex drive is one of those, the drive to eat, 
right? We're hungry. We're hungry. But then you got to go eat. The, the, these different kind of drive crimes push people beyond their reason to commit these crimes. So when we see a, uh, a psychosexual uh, attack by a serial killer, you know, the whole lot, the idea is that sex, the sexual assault, whether it's a, a, a garden variety sexual assault, which is horrible enough, um, a date rape type of a, a sexual assault, or a psychosexual serial killer who assaults their victim and then murders them. The drive is what's pushing them because the sex part of that crime is not about the sex. It's about the power. And for the psychosexual criminal, this is complete power over another human being to the point that, think about that, what a violation that is of a person to be sexually assaulted, to be penetrated, right? To be penetrated. I know this is very drastic wording for today, but we're all adults here. To be penetrated against your will is, it, it, it removes some of your humanity. It's, it is degrading, it is painful, it's psychologically damaging. So for these psychosexual killers whose drive is not only to control someone, but to then kill them, to have so much control, you can take their life. And that's what serial killers do. And, and then to, to, to violate someone like that, and then to take their life and leave them is a drive they, they can't control. And that's why these people are so dangerous. Well, when we look at religion in our lives, the reality is that human beings without rules we would quickly uh, devolve into survival of the fittest, the strongest make all the rules. We see it every single day, right? What do I say all the time? The default position of humanity is to live under tyranny because the strong man will make the rules and not everyone wants to fight the strong man. Not everyone is the strong man. The strong man will kill you, hurt you bad. It's a power struggle and humanity has a power struggle. We also have another side. We do have a side of us that has reason, that has emotions that are positive emotions, that has love, kindness, joy, compassion. We have that also, but those are, those are the good emotions as opposed to the bad ones, jealousy, rage, anger, uh, those kind of things. And when you think about them, if you took a glass of, uh, uh, of white paint and a glass of black paint and you poured them together. Well, the white paint doesn't stay white and change the black paint. The black paint changes the white paint. And if you think about them as uh, that, that black paint is, the, is the, the, the bad emotions, the anger, the frustration, it's going to taint the good ones. And that's exactly what happens. When we have these kind of bad emotions and drives, these drives will overcome our will to do what we know is right. And often these people, if they're not sociopaths who don't care about someone else's feelings, they just simply are driven to do things. And religion was the one thing that gave us boundaries, that gave us boundaries we could all agree on so that when someone was thinking of doing something bad, the entire community lived by the rule that, hey, you don't just go and murder someone for no reason. You don't just kill them because you want to. You don't just go sexually assault someone because you want to have sex with that person, right? They kept us in line. And over time, we have seen, we have seen as the decay of our society takes place, what we are seeing is that people are realizing, hey, 
if we have these rules imposed on us, then we can't just run wild. So therefore, we have to get rid of these rules because these rules restrict us as a society. Because right? when we all had religion, and I don't mean every single human being, but when the majority of people went to church every week or went to synagogue or, or went to mosque every week and prayed to God, to an entity that was bigger than them, to an entity that, that oversaw this universe, and they listened to the, to the universal rules of how to treat other human beings, we had much less crime. We had much less violence. We had much less of the chaos that we see every single day. So when I see religion in our lives dissipating and people wantonly getting rid of religion, demanding that it be gone, is where you can see a clear line to where we've come now as we circle the drain, uh, societally speaking. So religion in our lives is what helped us, helped us control the drives that are negative. Uh, and then we worked on the wants because we told people it was bad. There's consequences. We've also taken away consequences, haven't we? So we've allowed the drives and the wants to run, run wild. And we've taken away the further restraints of, hey, there's consequences for you not controlling yourself. Right? There is a Satan club in an elementary school. Get my point? Okay. Now, we're seeing an, another another phenomenon. Now, prostitution has been with us forever. Uh, and again, I think these two topics tie into each other. You know, sex workers and prostitution. And we outlawed prostitution, right? In, in everywhere, prostitution was illegal. It was a big deal when prostitution was allowed to take place in, uh, in the Las Vegas area, right? Out in, out in uh, Nevada. Because, you know, oh my God, it was, it was antithetical to way, the way we see the world. The whole view is that these, these women who are involved in this, in prostitution, are being abused. They're living horrifying lives. They're, 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 they're being taken advantage of. And for, for much of the history of prostitution, that was true. Uh, you saw you had these people who would uh, use these women to make money with their bodies. And they would keep them in terrible conditions. They wouldn't pay them. I investigated I can't tell you how many uh, instances of uh, prostitution, whether it was through an organized prostitution ring or whether it was uh, an individual committing prostitution. And I know in our modern world, we like to think that, you know, the sex worker is, uh, has as much rights as everyone else to do what they want. And I guess, I suppose they do. I suppose they do. If we look at it, honestly, if someone wants to sell their body to a willing participant, an adult, you know, if an adult wants to sell their body to another adult who's a willing participant, uh, where's the harm in that? You know, what, what is the harm in that, really? Well, I think the harm is to the prostitute. Because I, I don't, I, the, act of, the act of sex, while it is a procreative and drive, uh, it is also a connective act, right? When two people are in love and they're engaged in a loving relationship and they engage in relations, personal relations... It can bond them together. It can bring them together. It can, it can enhance the relationship. And I'm not going to say every single person involved in prostitution because men are involved in prostitution now as well. There's a lot of male prostitutes out there. Uh, I'm not going to say that every single one of them 
doesn't want to be involved. I'm sure there are some who really like sex so much that they don't mind getting paid to have sex. I guess. I don't know. It seems to me the ones that I have seen, the, the women and the men involved in prostitution that I have seen, of course, my life as an investigator, their lives were very sad. Their lives were, were difficult. Now, I'm not talking about the $1,000 an hour prostitute who goes out, you know, once a night, every couple nights and is living a very uh, financially stable life because of their activity. There are those people. I think they suffer from the same pains as the, the street-level prostitute. But at the same time, we outlawed prostitution because we didn't think it was good for the prostitute or for the people who engaged with the prostitutes. There was disease. There was concerns about disease. There was concerns about infidelity. There's all these, all these base rules. Again, boundaries on our human behavior. And sex is a drive, which is exactly why there is prostitution. Because people will do anything to satisfy that drive, that sex drive. And if there's no way to obtain a sexual relationship within a relationship, then people would step outside. And this creates the market. Right? So someone may have low skills. They can't make money any other way, but they can sell their body. And they sell their body, and it is degrading, and it is painful, and it's terrible, but it serves its purpose. Right? So that's a, that's a want crime combined with a drive crime. See, the victim, the prostitute, has a want, wants to pay for her life for food so she can have a place to live. The person who's patronizing the prostitute, many have many different reasons, but the majority is they have a sex drive they want to satisfy. And if they can't satisfy it at home and they can't find willing partners... They can pay someone, and that keeps them from sexually assaulting other people because they have an outlet. So I guess that's part of what our modern thinking is, is that, hey, these prostitutes have a right to sell their body if they want. What's the big deal? Nobody cares. And if somebody wants to go to a prostitute, what's the big deal? Nobody cares. And in reality, does it really matter that much to Lieutenant Joe? No, Lieutenant Joe doesn't go to prostitutes, and I'm not a prostitute. But I do feel for humanity. And I do feel for the people, the men and women who engage as prostitutes, that it's not good for them. And that's why it was illegal. But now we're seeing this push to open prostitution everywhere. The other side of this is now we're seeing this human trafficking market. Why? Because people know that there, the article I read in California, they said there's, there's all of this open-air prostitution going on now because we're not prosecuting prostitution anymore in many parts of, of the country. And that they said the Johns, who are the, who are the men, who mostly men who go to prostitutes, were lined up down the block. Now, we can make a lot of jokes about this. You know, it lends itself, you know, anytime you, you're talking about sexuality, it lends itself to some jokes and this and that. But this is nothing funny. This is serious. And it's one more example of our society coming apart at the seams. We are, okay, we're, we're, we're convincing ourselves that, oh, these prostitutes want to do this. It's a good way they can make money, and they're choosing to do it. And I'm going to say, I think, in the majority of the cases, they're doing it because they feel they have no other choice, and they are being abused. And I think that way it's wrong. Um... I don't have the power to change it or to stop it. All I can do is point out what I think about it. 
Um, so that you know, that's why I'm seeing the three things come together now, right? You get it. You see, we have we're, we're taking religion away. We are looking at prostitution as something that's that's good. It's okay. It's good. Nothing wrong with it. No matter who it hurts. Um, and we're saying that these things are normal now and they're okay now. Well, the religion in our lives kept us within boundaries of things that were wholesome and better for us as a people, as a species, than just letting everything go, which is kind of where we are now, just letting everything go. And I think that's the problem. So that's, that's, that's the triumvirate there I put together. And that's why I wanted you to understand a little bit about drive crimes and uh, want crimes, because these things are all connected into human psychology and how we behave among each other. Each other. And that's why uh, I teach in and train about these things. Now, another thing we're seeing, let me, let me add another one. How many times have we seen recently at high school sporting events, uh, college sporting events? Uh, we see it in the pro events, but it's a little different when it's in the pro events. But in these high school and, and, uh, and college events, we're seeing the teams brawling on the, on the, uh, on the field of sport, right? Not just arguing, not a shoving match, because that happens. You, you know, you, you, get, you got games like football, you got basketball. These kind of games lend themselves to people banging into each other. That's what you're supposed to do. You block, you shove, you, you know, you, and you knock into each other. Every once in a while, you knock into somebody and maybe you give them an extra little shot and they don't like it. And they turn around and they, they push you off and it turns into an argument. Okay, that's, that happens. We see that all the time. In hockey, that's pretty much built into the game, right? Now I'm not a big hockey guy, but I do like I do like hockey. I'm just not as hockey much of a guy as I'm a football guy. But you know, in hockey, if two players get into a fight, the referees let them fight until one of them gets an advantage over the other. Now that's part of the game, right? That's what people people say. That's why they go to see hockey games, not so much for the hockey, because you can't even see the little puck on the ice. They go there for the fights. Let's see what happens with these fights, right? Now, I don't know if that's true or not. Um, every time I went, I played hockey when I was a kid. I wasn't that good at it, so that's probably why I moved on. I couldn't skate that great. But when I see, see these brawls of, you know, two players having a problem on, on the field or on the, on the court or wherever they are, and then it turns into the entire set of both teams, sometimes people in the, in the audience joining in, it's just another view of how we've allowed violence and this expression of, of, of anger to just burst forth and do whatever the hell anybody wants to do. You don't like to go to heaven, you know, road rage, right? Road rage, people pulling over, getting shot. We talked about it the other day, a woman and two, two women in, in a grocery store parking lot had an argument. One woman pulled a gun and shot the other woman and killed her over a parking space. So when I see these sports brawls, and there was just a couple uh, in the news recently, where they were, like I said, high school kids brawling, parents in the um, in the in the bleachers, fist fighting with each other, screaming, hollering, involving the kids. It's disgusting, and it's just another symptom that we're suffering here in the loss of 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 our control of who we are, and what's considered appropriate behavior. You know, I think we can all be tolerant of each other and different choices that people make. I, I think we should be tolerant of each other. 
but to be attacking each other at every second is is just really unfortunate. It's a shame, and it's uh, it's problematic. And again, it goes with the other things that I was talking about here: the loss of religion, the uh, the diluting of the message of religion. Matter of fact, putting people down. Oh, oh, you think you're so smart? You really believe in a you know old white guy in the, in the, with a big white beard in the sky, and he's he's in control of everything. You must be stupid. You know, and we've talked about this before. That's that's individual. That's up to the individual. You know, the atheist has every right to not believe as much as someone who has summoned a person of faith has a right to believe. And I don't think they should cross over each other, right? Uh, the atheists scream and holler because they don't believe it. They don't want anyone else to be able to express it. And our Constitution didn't say, well, if somebody's against you expressing your, your religious freedom, then you shouldn't be able to do it. Uh, no, it says you are allowed to express your religious freedom. Uh, and we should make sure that that is protected. That's an important, important right as an American citizen to be able to express your religion. That doesn't mean you can drag people into your church or your synagogue or your mosque uh, and make them listen to you. No, you make your argument of why you think there's a God, what you think God is all about. And then if people come to that religion, if that religion finds them in a place where they need it, it provides comfort, it can provide uh, companionship, and it can provide a meaning to life. And I guess that's what I'm going to boil this all down to is that what I see with this, this devolving of our society is that the meanings of what life is supposed to be about are changing. And we're not val- we don't value life. We don't value life, right? There was a time when the idea of euthanasia could be understandable. You don't want to see anybody suffer. I wouldn't want to suffer. I want to see anybody in my family suffer. But to say, okay, go in, give them a shot and, and, and take them out and kill them? That was something we would never even consider. You know, a, a baby in the womb. We would never consider going in there and killing that baby because it's inconvenient, because people didn't mean to get pregnant, because people had a one-night stand and now there's a baby involved. Now, it's gone from something we wouldn't even think about to, hey, it's probably okay. We should probably, uh, you know, put grandma down if she's, uh, if she's at the end of her life and uh, she's a burden. You know, it's hard to take care of. It's very expensive. That baby was unexpected. I don't want a baby. I, I still want to, I want to pursue my life. We've just changed the parameters of what we see as normal, of what we see as acceptable. And all of that, I think, comes from the fact that we removed religion from our lives. We've gone back to a place before there was organized religion that told us, hey, there are some, some basic rules to life that if we all follow them, things can be better for everyone, right? Yes, uh, absolutely, religion can be restrictive on some of the things we want to do and on some of our drives. It absolutely can. But we have all seen very clearly when we allow our drives to take the driver's seat, so to speak, and do whatever we want, that leads to problems for everyone. So allowing prostitution, allowing unlimited fist fighting and brawling at every event, allowing looting and burning, and having a Satan club in an elementary school. I think that paints a pretty clear picture of where we are. And I don't think it's sustainable, my friends. This is Lieutenant Joe. We'll be back in a minute. I hope I gave you something to think about. 
no matter where you stand on it. Here on America Out Loud, we emphasize optimal health, and air is the most essential element for life. The average person inhales over 35 pounds of air every day, yet we seldom think about how to rid the air of pathogens swiftly and safely when we need to. The Genesis Fogger Plus HOCL is the only way to quickly and naturally restore air to its optimal condition. Visit genesisfogger.com forward slash out loud for a free ebook on everything you need to know about HOCL and receive a 15% discount on the Genesis Fogger with promo code OUTLOUD. With Genesis, you'll be ready for what's next. Trouble getting to sleep and staying asleep is infuriating. Your mind races, you toss and turn, and the harder you try, the harder it is to drift off. And today's fast-paced digital age makes it tougher. You're not alone. Poor sleep affects over 70% of us. The CDC even labeled insufficient sleep a public health epidemic. Advanced nutrition company, Healthy Cell, created REM sleep to help you quickly fall asleep, stay asleep, sleep deep, and wake refreshed. Unlike other supplements that don't work, REM sleep is not a pill. It's a gel you swallow with ultra-absorption of science-backed ingredients, supporting all four stages of sleep using calming herbs, amino acids, and sleep hormone support. Over a thousand reviews with an average star rating of over 4.4 proves it works. Take back your sleep. Go to HealthyCell.com and use limited time code OUTLOUD for 25% off your first order. Risk-free. Love it or your money back. Guaranteed. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. HealthyCell.com. Code OUTLOUD. For 40 years, alarmists have been warning of a climate catastrophe, yet none of their dire predictions have come true. Temperatures have not soared. Sea level rise has not been unusual and extreme weather events have not increased in either frequency or intensity. In short, there is no climate emergency. For 15 years, the International Climate Science Coalition has led the call for climate realism and a Made in America climate plan, a plan based on real science that responds to the real-world needs of Americans, supports economic growth, and strengthens our essential infrastructure. A plan that protects the environment and ensures that Americans can enjoy the blessings of clean air, clean land, and clean water for generations to come. It's time to put ideology and pseudoscience aside. It's time for a sensible climate plan. For more information or to donate, visit our website, icsc-climate.com. We are fighting the ultimate fight between good and evil. AmericaOutloud.com replaces groupthink with innovative think. Well, it was Walt Whitman, the poet, who said, Keep your face always toward the sunshine, and shadows will fall behind you. America Out Loud Talk Radio. Liberty and justice for all. All right, then. Lieutenant Joe here, and we are back for some more, hopefully, interesting conversation. I mean, it interests me, things I like to talk about. I, I hope you don't mind sitting here with me, spending your time with me. I know uh, it's, it's, it's an honor and a privilege for me to know that you're out there listening, that I have a, uh, a platform that I can express myself, because it really does help me think things through. You know, over the course of our time together, four years, maybe four years together, uh, here on Chasing Justice, I've had the ability to to see things differently, to observe the world differently, to make observations of people differently. 
And many of those things have helped me to grow and to evolve as a human being, to see the world and people in a different way, to expand what I thought was my understandings of what tolerance is and what that means, as well as to understand how humans get along together and how we need to get along as well as many of the problems. So I want to thank you for being a part of that. All of you who have emailed uh, over the years uh, asking questions, all of you who have uh, really told me that you enjoy the show and it helps you to think too. That's all I'm trying to do. I'm trying to just bring out conversation here. So we saw something the other day. Um, we see we're, we're not in the political season yet, but we're getting to the political season. You know, you're starting to see people are starting to announce for president. Donald Trump has announced that he's going to run. Everyone's expecting that uh, Ron DeSantis is going to announce probably in May. Um, we have Nikki Haley, who's announced she's running for president. There's, there's quite a few people out there. Um, what about Joe Manchin? Let's, let's talk about him for a minute. He's, a, he's an interesting, interesting kind of guy, I think. He, he was very, very popular in West Virginia. I have an aunt and an uncle who lived in West Virginia. They, they passed recently, but my cousin lives there in West Virginia. And it was always a very red, conservative uh, kind of a state. And then it started to go purple. Then it started going blue. And we had Joe Manchin, uh, who was a, a centrist, left-wing kind of guy. And he was, he was very popular. And as we've seen, uh, now West Virginia seems to have gone further back uh, into the conservative wing, a little, a little more red now, running red in the last couple of elections, pretty good. And Joe Manchin is a Democrat who's purple. Uh, and is he purple because he really stands in the middle? Because he really is a middle-of-the-road kind of guy, and, and he sees things, uh, sometimes he sees it conservatively, sometimes he sees it more progressively. So he's just naturally really a purple guy and not a red or a blue guy. Or is he more of a calculating guy who says, uh, hey, uh, you know, I'm going to do what's best for Joe Manchin and uh, whichever way the wind blows so I can keep my cool job in Washington. Well, he's, he's got some, some trouble now because he stood up to his party and, and people cheered him so much so when he stood up to uh, Nancy Pelosi and he stood up to Chuck Schumer and the, the agenda, the Biden agenda, you saw people on the right applauding uh, and saying, hey, he's doing the right thing, not just because he was opposing them, but because their policies were wrong. Their ideas were wrong and he was opposing it. And the people in West Virginia... And I think this is where that came from, uh, started to make themselves known. They didn't want this progressive liberal policy system. They wanted more conservatism. So you saw Joe Manchin start to lean closer to the center and sometimes a little bit further to the right. So much so that there was a lot of conversation that he might flip parties. He might flip parties. He might become a Republican and wrest away control from the Democrats and be a Republican. Well, I think that was really a lot of wishful thinking. You know, when people feel, when they feel desperate, when they feel like uh, they have no control over things because you don't have any, any power, because the other party has all the power and they're doing everything they want and you don't like any of it. When you see this glimmer of hope, hey, it's, it's 50 to 50, and if this guy came to our side, that would be the end of that. We wouldn't have to suffer that. So I think that's what, that was a lot of, uh, that was a lot of that wishful thinking that he would jump over. I, I can't imagine that he will jump over, um, 
Although I'm going to hold, I'm going to hold that judgment because as he gets closer and closer to his election, he just came out the other day and said he's not going to run for president uh, this time around. Uh, he's can try and consider what he wants to do. So I think he's throwing throwing some uh, some feelers out there to see, you know, okay, it, could he be reelected if he switched over to the Republican side? Because the governor, Justice, I think that's his name, he's considering, hey, I'm going to run against him for Senate. Maybe I'll take my popularity as a conservative here in West Virginia, and I will turn it into, guess what? I get to go to, uh, get to, go to Washington and have that cool life. So I'm trying to figure this, this mansion guy out. I think if he was genuine, he would come out and let us know, why are you still a Democrat when your state is no longer a Democrat stronghold? Why do you, why do you cling to a party of Nancy Pelosi? that does everything antithetical to what the people in your state believe, right? Now, if people in California believe those things, they vote for their people. But why would you still cling to a party that you represent? Because we have representative government, right? That's what we vote for people to represent us. We don't vote for uh, elites to go in and rule over us. That's how it works out in our modern world. But the whole idea is people represent us. Well, if the state is more conservative and wants conservatives, well, two things come to mind. First of all, why do the people keep re-electing this guy if they're if he's not representing them? So we have to dig a little deeper, I think. Maybe maybe it's not as as far to the red as we think it might be. Maybe it's locally red, right? Because everything every politics is local. So when I look at Joe Manchin and I say, he says he's not going to run, but is he just kind of throwing that out there and saying, well let me see, uh, how do I get to keep this job? Right? Do I do I do I switch parties? And that's what I think the calculus for him would be. Do I switch parties uh, a year from now and say, I'm going to go with the Republicans because my state is more Republican now and they'll vote for me because they like him. He's a popular guy there, uh, but he's losing that popularity because of his votes and, and the things he's sticking with. So I just found it interesting to, to think about uh, what he might do because him and, and, uh, and cinema in, uh, in Arizona are two of them that kind of stood in the middle and said, eh, we're not going to go raging liberal. Uh, we are more liberal than we're not, but we're not going to go raging liberal and follow Biden down the rat hole. And they voted against some things and it, it caused them a lot of grief. So it's interesting. It's an interesting thing to watch. And I would say keep an eye on him and see what he's going to do, because West Virginia could be a flip state. Uh, if he decides to run and he stays liberal, and he votes a couple more times along with the with the left party. You might see the people there decide it's it, you've had your time time to go now. It's time for Mr. Justice or whoever runs against them. But I think this, that's an interesting part of politics that I do find interesting how people uh, move and shake and, and who changes parties and who doesn't and, and what do the people want? You know, everyone has a right to vote for who they want for what you like and what you believe in, and that's the way our system works and it, and it should be. So there's other other legal things going on around out there, right? Um, how about in Georgia, where they're, they're running a grand jury, they're running a grand jury to see if Donald Trump and his associates tried to steal the election. So let, let's talk about that. Now, I don't know what they know in that grand jury. I haven't been given uh, privilege to understand what evidence they're bringing forward that Trump tried to steal the election, to overturn the election. Uh, I know he probably made phone calls to some of the Republican officials there, and he was concerned about what happened during the election. 
right? Now, we've, we've turned this whole conversation into, well, if you don't believe that Biden absolutely got 81 million votes and blew Trump out of the water and everybody voted for him and there was no shenanigans whatsoever, you're making it up. If you don't believe that, you're a conspiracy theorist and you're a nut and you should be shunned. We're not allowed to even ask the questions. We're not even allowed to say, you know, I see some smoke. Can we just investigate? And how many times we've got to go over this? And I think that's what everybody who's involved here said. Nobody's saying that it was stolen outright. Nobody's saying that, that everyone cheated. But there seems to be a lot of things that probably should have been investigated to find out if it's on the up and up. I mean, our whole election system has changed. Now we have early voting, sometimes months ahead of time. We have ballot harvesting where we go to old folks' homes and hand them their ballots and help them to make their choices, and then we harvest all those ballots. And we see that, uh, you know, on, on election night, one candidate will be winning by thousands of votes, and then in the middle of the night, they stop the counting, and trucks show up, and thousands and thousands of votes for the other person shows up, and it swings the election. Oh, my gosh. Now, could that all be legitimate? It could. It could absolutely be all legitimate, depending on where they're getting the votes from, what part of the state, the county, whatever. Uh, it absolutely could be legitimate. But how about there's lots and lots of instances where it doesn't look like everything was legitimate. Why won't we just investigate that? Why call people names? Why threaten people with, oh, you're a nut, you're a conspiracy theorist? Oh, how about just look at my claims and let's actually investigate them? No, we don't have to do that because you're crazy, you're wrong, you know what you're talking about. And that's, that's what makes people suspicious. That's why people are not happy about the situation. But that's the reality. But there's this grand jury going on. And again, another, another group of politicians going after Trump. Trump, 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 Trump. The guy's been out of office two years, and they're still going after him, still lawsuiting him, search warrant in his house, going after him, trying to get him because they're scared to death that he could come back and be president again and then open the floodgates. And this time around, I don't think he would make the same mistakes by allowing all the, uh, the attorney generals to stay in office. I think he would say, everybody, on day one, I want your resignation, and I'm going to put in my people. I think he would clear out the White House, clear out all of the different agencies that we've seen all these problems from. He would clean them out and start over fresh, and that scares the life out of him, because then he would have the power to say, hey, I need you to investigate all this and come to the truth about everything that happened, the FBI, the Department of Justice, all of these people. Uh, and I, all these politicians that lied, I don't think they want anything like that going on. So you see, and it's both sides of the aisle, you know, they're both sides are anti-Trump because they don't, they don't, everybody's got their good thing going and they don't want to give it up. Well, this grand jury that's running in Georgia trying to determine if Trump did anything to overturn the election. Um, like, I don't know what he could actually do to overturn the election. He, he made phone calls. I'm sure he did. Did he say, as the President of the United States, I order you to overturn that election so that I win? I don't think he said that. I think he might have said, hey, what, what the hell's going on down in Georgia? Uh, what's going on with, these, with the votes? And, and it looks like something weird is going on. Are you going to look into that? I want you to look into that. That's something any candidate has a right to say. If you run for dog catcher in your town and it looks like something went wrong with the election that maybe somebody did some, some shenanigans, you have every single right to say to the, to the election commission, I think something went on here. Can you check this, please? Can we look into it? Just so that I'm satisfied. So I know it was all on the up and up. And that is all anybody has been saying about that election in 2020. 
right? Nobody's saying, you know, well, there are, okay, granted, there are some people, it was stolen, it was stolen, it was stolen, okay, because it looks like it was stolen. In many instances, there it looks like there's evidence that things happen. Trucks in the middle of the night showing up, uh, people not being able to check ballots, you know, all that kind of stuff. We've talked about it till we're blue in the face. But the reality is this grand jury, and our grand jury, so you understand, grand jury is a secretive operation, right? So when a grand jury is impaneled, in many of our states, it kind of works like this, because we hear this term all the time, not everybody understands the grand jury. In our system, you have indictments, right? So somebody charges you with something, a police officer catches you doing something, or an investigator investigates in FBI or whoever the investigator is, and they believe you have committed a crime. So if they develop probable cause that you have done this, that it looks like there's more evidence for than against, they will charge you with a crime. That means you get arrested, you know, you get fingerprinted, and you're handed a criminal charge. Now, when it's a kind of a charge that has with it um, the penalty of going to jail, all right, when it has penalty of going to jail, then in most of our states, we have things, anything over 364 days in jail would be a felony. Right, so we hear terms indictable, felony, they're interchangeable. What it means is that it's a crime that's a, that's a more serious crime. You can go to jail for more than 365 days. Less than that is usually disorderly conduct time of things. You can be found guilty for fist fighting, punching, assault, and this and that, and you go to jail for less than 364 days, and that would be in your local county jail. It's where you would serve your prison term, your prison term in the county jail. Uh, prisons are reserved for people with felony convictions that go there for more than 365 days, go there for five years, two years, three, whatever. So the indictment process, you, you charge the individual with the crime. Then it goes to the prosecutor. Now the prosecutor takes these serious crimes, these indictable crimes, first, second, third, and fourth degree crimes, very serious felonies, and they go to a grand jury. Now, in New Jersey, the grand jury is made up of 22 individuals. Just like you get a, a subpoena to sit on a pettit jury where you're going to decide the guilt or the innocence of somebody, a grand juror uh, will also be, be subpoenaed in, and they, they are going to be part of the jury system, the grand jury system, for a length of time. Now, it could be 10 weeks, 20 weeks, 30 weeks, whatever, whatever your state decides, and they usually meet once a week. So you'll have the uh, grand jury will come in and they'll meet uh, once a week and the prosecutor will bring to this group of citizens, right, because you'd be judged by your peers. They will come to them and they will say, okay, I'm the prosecutor. This is the charge against Johnny Jones. Police officer Smith charged him with this crime based on probable cause. You have to determine if you think this rises to the level of a crime. Do you think the person should be held over for trial? Right? So we get our peers to hear the evidence to determine whether or not. So if they say, yes, we think Johnny Jones did this, this is very bad, and he should go to trial, not go to jail, grand jury don't send you to jail, they send you to trial, the grand jury will say things like, if, it's, if they think it happened, they'll say, that's a true bill, T-R-U-E, a true bill, which means we think it's, there's probable cause that this person did it and they should go to trial. If the grand jury hears the evidence and decides that whatever the person did or didn't do does not rise to the level of, of a crime to be held over to, for trial, they will say that's a no bill. So that's why we often see in cases where police officers use force, maybe somebody seriously injured or killed, and they will take the case to the grand jury. 
because then a group of citizens will hear the facts of the case and they will determine, hey, we think the officer did the right thing or the wrong thing or the excusable thing because there is excusable things, right? There are excusable things. Like when you pull a knife on a police officer and they shoot you, they have every right to do that. So therefore, that's not murder. It's a homicide because you took another human life, but it's justifiable homicide or excusable homicide because the officer had a reason to do what they did. So the grand jury then hears this evidence and then votes, and they vote on each case. So what, what happens is the prosecutor will present some evidence. The investigators will often come in, and they will give their uh, information about the investigation. And then the grand jurors will weigh out the facts, and then they'll vote. They'll vote to true bill or to no bill it. Now, you've probably heard an old saying that says, you could indict a ham sandwich. And the reason they say that is because in that jury room are the police or the investigators and the prosecutors. The defense attorney does not get to go in there and testify, nor, or, nor is a person who is charged compelled to sit in front of the grand jury. Sometimes people will. Like a lot of times, police officers will go in and testify in front of the grand jury and give their side of the incident. But you don't have to. But that's why if the prosecutor wants to indict someone, and the police already charged you, they can present the evidence in such a way that the grand jurors sit there and say, wow, that's a pretty good case. Sounds like the person did it. They should go to trial. And then they give a true bill. You get indicted, and then you'll go to trial. All right, so I just want to clear that up for you a little bit so you understand that process. So right now in Georgia, they have a grand jury impaneled, and they're investigating whether or not Donald Trump and his associates tried to overturn the election in Georgia, rob the people of Georgia of their rights to their election. Well, there's a jury foreperson. There's a woman down there, and she's all over the news, and her name is Emily Coors, and she looks like a, a younger person from pictures I've seen of her on the news, and she is out talking all kinds of news outlets about what went on in the grand jury and what she thinks might happen and, and what, they, what they talked about. And you're not supposed to do that. That's supposed to be a, um, a secure, secret event. The jury votes for true bill or no bill, and you don't talk about it. Well, she's out on TV shows. So the news out there now is that uh, people are saying, um, you know, this is improper. This, this might ruin the case because basically you're violating the due process rights of the defendants or the potential defendants, in this case, Donald Trump and his associates by running around talking on TV shows that, well, you know, we, we, we said that probably about 12 or 13 people should be indicted and probably should go to trial. And one of them might be Trump, could be Trump. you know. So she's out there doing things she shouldn't be doing. And if the defense, the Trump's defense team, if they end up getting indicted, even if it's not Trump, it's his associates, if they get indicted, uh, they could come back to the court and say, Your Honor, this was completely inappropriate and this indictment should be thrown out. This juror went around. Who knows what? She talked about what they talked about. Who said what? It's, it's inappropriate. Now, for all of you out there who hate Donald Trump and don't care how the system is bent, as long as we get him, uh, keep in mind, every time you bend the system and break it to go after somebody that you don't like, that same thing can come back and get you. That's why we have to have fair, impartial juries and fair, impartial trials. That's why defendants have rights. Nothing's more frustrating than seeing someone who did something horrible afforded 90 million rights because we all know he did it. We know he did it. But the reality is that could be you one day. That could be somebody in your family who's charged with something that they did or didn't do. 
or got involved in to different degrees. And you'd want the grand jury, the trial jury, the lawyers, everybody to give that person their due process rights. That's why we have it. That's the beauty of our system, right? This is not a place where we kick in the door, we go get you, drag you out, and you're guilty because the king says you're guilty, right? We get to have a real trial here. You get to present evidence. You get to, you get to ask the witnesses questions. You get to ask the people who are, 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 are saying you did something wrong. You get to check them and find out what did they do. Did they do anything wrong in procuring the evidence, in talking to people? It's the, it's the most fair system that there is. Now, are people sometimes convicted when they shouldn't be? Yes, absolutely. It's not a perfect system. But short of our system, uh, there's nothing really better. And that's uh, certainly uh, a problem if we don't protect the system. So this woman running around talking about what went on in the grand jury that she thinks 10 or 12 people might get indicted and it might be Donald Trump, that is damaging to individual Americans' rights. Right? And you are an individual American, and it can happen to you as well. So even if you hate Donald Trump, probably be better for you to say, hey, if he did something wrong, give him his due process rights and let him suffer the consequences if he did something wrong, as opposed to, I don't care what they did, get him. Just, I don't care what they do, twist it around, just as long as they get him. Because right? that could happen to you. And you just keep that in mind when you're sitting in that hot seat and they twist it around and you want to complain. That that's not true. That's not what happened. That's not what somebody said. Too bad. They wanted to get you and people didn't like you. And is that the kind of system of justice we really want? It's not. All right. So that brings me to um, the reality about overturning an election. And I'm just going to spend another minute on this and then we're going to move on to a, an incident with an off-duty police officer in Chicago. The whole idea about this um, overturning an election. And I kind of talked about it a little bit. If you were running for dog catcher or mayor or senator in your state and you put on a campaign, you went out, you did whatever, you raised money and you followed all the rules and you did whatever, and then you got rumor or you saw actual uh, evidence that there could be wrongdoing in what took place and how the votes were counted, how they were handled. How many times have we seen huge piles of votes that were dumped on the side of the road, right? How many times have we seen people vote four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten times? Uh, it does happen. Go look it up. People have gone to jail for it. And in recent years, because there is cheating that goes on in elections. Now, it's usually not enough cheating to overturn the will of the people, right? You have 5,000 bad votes in an election with a million votes. That's not going to change the election, but it could, right? But it could so the whole idea is that we want our elections to be fair and impartial and let the winner win. Whoever the, whoever the people chooses, who should be elected, whether I like them or don't like them, or I like their policies or not, if you get the most votes, you're the winner, you get to do your thing. Elections have consequences is the, is the whole point. So the whole idea that Trump and Giuliani and all of his associates and many, many millions of American citizens believe to this day that there was something wrong with the election in 2020. First of all, it doesn't mean that there was, right? I'd say that maybe there was nothing wrong. But the fact that it looks to them like there's evidence that there was tampering, that there was other things that went on that were not right, they have every right to question that, right? Questioning what happened in the election is not trying to overturn the election, 
right? You understand the difference between the two? If you were wronged, you have a right to stand up and say, I think I was wronged. I want someone to look into this. And that is what they're all doing. And the reason that it looks like they're, they're, they're wiggling around and they're doing things that are, that are not true and this, is because the media is portraying it as though there's absolutely no proof. There's no proof, no proof. But when Hillary Clinton lost to Donald Trump, there was all kinds of proof, wasn't there? Trump is a Russian. Trump is a this. Trump had help from, from this one and that one. And it was just stories. Matter of fact, they went after him for three years with lies and fakes over that election. But that was perfectly acceptable, wasn't it? Because we knew Trump didn't really win. We knew it. Right? And in this case, when Trump and his associates question the election, he's a criminal, he's a liar, and the media tells you he's a liar. There was nothing wrong with this election. 2016, yes, there was a lot wrong there, even though we made it all up. Uh, there was a lot wrong there, and that, that was a problem, and we should have went after Trump. We have to be discerning, my brothers and sisters here in America, all of us, no matter who you are, where you live, what you do, we need fairness. We need justice. We need things to be done properly. And however it comes out, that's how it comes out. I'm perfectly okay with that. You know, if you vote for, if your community votes for one person over another, that's, that's who you should get. But it has to be done fairly. And uh, whether or not there was th shenanigans, I don't know. It looks like there was some things that were done improperly. And uh, a lot of people point to, well, the courts turned them down. The court said nothing went wrong. That's not what the court said. That's how it was portrayed again by the media. What the court said is that they're not going to take the case. They weren't going to look into it any further. They felt it was, and believe me, you have judges that are good men and women, but they also live alive and they have, uh, they have, um, they have beliefs, they have biases, just like everyone else. Why do you think when there's something that, that, that one group or the other wants to go a certain way, if, you want, if you're conservative and you want it to come out your way, you pick certain courts where you bring the, the challenge because they're a conservative court. If you're a liberal and you want it to come out your liberal way, you bring it to a liberal court because you know that's how they're going to vote. Uh, why is everyone so upset about the conservatives on the Supreme Court just like they were upset about the liberals on the Supreme Court? Because people will vote their ideology. They don't always vote just the law. They don't always just vote with what's right. They vote they're human beings, and they can fall prey to those things as well. So I think this was, uh, uh, this was an interesting show. Uh, we covered a lot of different areas here. You know, religion, what happened to religion in our life, the rise of prostitution, Satan worship in our elementary schools, Biden's trip, uh, you know, here, there, and everywhere, and what he's doing, brawls in sports, Grand juries coming apart, trying to get Trump. We talked about a lot of things, my friends. The whole idea is for us to think, think our own thoughts, think clear, and let's all work for fairness and justice for everybody. It's Lieutenant Joe. Remember, be a part of the solution, not a part of the problem.